This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Until you're on your own, you can't be free. Until you own your own, you can't be me. All my man just from the what, mud, what God. Jay Z. I got the keys. And keys. I mean, I that's a very truthful statement. To some Jay this morning. Old Jay? No, some Jay. No, old Jay? New old Jay? Jay? Can I hit it in the uh, morning without giving you half of my door? Even, even worse, if I was, I was broke, broke, would you want it? Man, if you couldn't <laughs> no, see the show right. shining on the short time, no, I was listening to if you uh, driving. New Jay, actually. I was listening to the Blueprint Blueprint 3. Uh, but I do like some Reasonable Doubt. Who like some? All of Reasonable Doubt. Oh, I still want to hear 20 years since Reasonable yes. Doubt came out. 20 Platinum, years. We are all triples. dying. <laughs> We're also <laughs> old. If it was I was 20 years since Jay-Z was cooking brother, crack. Brother, name <laughs> jigger, would you come around, baby? Would, would you, you crown me? me? All right, guys. Hopefully uh, Stanley is done. So it's been 20 years since Jay-Z was selling Jay-Z crack show. <laughs> Oh, well, sorry. Um, so welcome to the show, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where Stanley always lets his singing voice and rapping voice be heard, even though he's horrible at both. J A Y I Flow Six. <laughs> I gotta find that song. We playing that song. Oh my today. goodness! You better find a clean version of that more song. Money, you, I still want to hear Jay Z's new song, Pray. It's oh, not yeah. a good no. 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 Yeah, okay, listen. Nothing could top old Jay Z. That said, nothing could top old me. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still had some more fire back then in my right. younger days. So, right. um, but who am I? I'm Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your legal correspondent, and now I'm boring. I'm not as fun as I used to be when She's I used not. to have crazy hot tub parties with 50 people in my And now you're backyard. a lawyer. <laughs> and the cops getting called, now I can't do that anymore because I'm a lawyer. So <laughs> you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's I-O-I-S-S-A-F-U. CHS. <laughs> you can also find Alyssa in court doing her job really well. Yeah, uh, you may find me at court in a hearing, <laughs> investigating <Writing>. something <laughs> at a you know right. at a NYCHA building. You never know. Writing I'm or at a hot dog party, whatever. Showing somebody the video about how a chopped cheese should be four dollars. <laughs> how it's not a steal. Still haven't oh seen that God. yet. You, you really haven't seen that video. How- Oh, Alyssa's part in a hot tub somewhere writing a 75-page brief no, as well. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, that. I cut that from 54 pages down to 32. What? Well, actually, my boss helped, so shout yeah. out to Josh Fitch. Leader. <laughs> mm. um, I am Jackie Cohen. No one cares. I... I care, and my parents care. No, no, my parents care. Yeah, we we shout out to Jackie's parents. Yeah, we like them better anyway. Lisa and Gary. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter at Jackie Cohen, J-A-Q-I-C-O-H-E-N. Stanley? Oh, yeah, me. So, Jay, now I'm playing. So, my name is Stanley Fritz. You can find me on the PC Ones and Twos. You can also find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz, where I currently have 1,050 followers. I feel important. I'm probably not. You can also <laughs> find me on Instagram at Stan Fritz and on Snapchat at Stan Fritz because Selena tells me I can't have more than one name. If you want to talk to me, see me in Harlem. You can and find him on the block, exactly. Right. <laughs> and I am Selena Hill. On Instagram and Twitter, that's Miss Selena Hill, and I spell it with an MS, of course. And we have a great show lined up. We probably are going to play a little more Jay Z songs, so look forward to that. But Yay. we have good discussions. We um, we're going to start the show talking about the U.S. jail system and why the suicide rate is so high. Um, you know, we're commemorating Sandra Bland's death. She died um, a little over a year ago at this time last year in a, in a jail in Texas. So Rest since then, 811 other people have died in jail. So we're going to talk about that. And we have a special guest on the line who's going to join that conversation. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about the Bastille Day attack and also the Turkey military, well, attempted Turkey military coup and what that means for the chaos, the crisis, the violence 
violence and the bloodshed overseas. Why are you smiling when you say that? I'm not. You, you really are I'm smiling. Just, well, because you told me I was smiling. Guys, look at her on the Ustream. Where's the stream team? I don't see them today. But she is smiling very hard. Oh, well, I smile all the time. No, she doesn't. She doesn't smile at me at all. We are not at you. Not at you. No one smiles and, at you. And you know what? She shouldn't have that. to smile at anybody. <laughs> she doesn't want to smile at Yeah, don't tell right? us to smile, don't Stanley. Hey, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> that's <right>? funny. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's like one of my biggest pet peeves. When you're walking down the street and somebody's mm. like, why don't you smile, girl? It's like, why don't you keep it to yourself? Women dude? be tripping, right? No, it, it's it's <laughs> annoying. Um, and then last but not least, Alyssa will be giving us a quickie slash rant on why Bernie Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton. Because he and, better had. Right. Basically. And the 12th Amendment, the role that the 12th Amendment played in all of that. So I'm definitely looking forward to that, guys. And of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. You can also call us up at 212-650-6903. We're going on a quick break. But when we come back, we're talking about the suicide rate in jails. Don't go anywhere. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. One day we will tell you what just happened during the break of this previous segment. But until then, you should notice Lena tried to get me arrested, put in jail. Do you know why? Because I told her she looked like Fergie, a black one. <laughs> okay, you almost that got made no sense. The other day. Well, no, what, what did I really almost get myself arrested or was I just being Stanley on a Sunday and someone didn't no, like No, no, no. You were fine and you had the right. Well, it's interesting. So you, I mean, side note, you have the right to refuse to give ID on the street. But when we're on a college campus, because mm-hmm. we're on their property, like if they ask you for an ID, technically you do have to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you were just being mouthy. And right. I was just like, which is not arrestable. But, you know, these cops out here, they just they make arrests even when it's not arrestable. That's so. right. Speaking of arrest. Ooh. Um, so as I mentioned before, we went on break. Sandra Bland died on July 13th, 2015 in a Texas jail. We all remember that dash cam video in which she was pulled over um, after she failed to signal while crossing lanes on a highway. She gets pulled over. She um, uh, a, a verbal confrontation ensues between her and a police officer. Eventually, she's like slammed on the ground. She complains that her head was hurting. She also says that the officer's knees were in her her back she's taken to police custody she's transferred to a, a texas jail she dies three days later and reports come out that she committed suicide now there was so much controversy over her death because i mean if you look at her facebook feed uh, if you checked out her facebook page in the days before her death and even if you heard that that phone call she made to her sister she did not seem suicidal she didn't appear suicidal but i will say when she filled out a form while entering the jail she did say that she had been suicidal in the past red flag so I say that to say, as we you know commemorate her death, as we say her name, as we call for justice for Sandra Bland, um, Eric Gardner, and in other people who have died, um, either uh, in the hands of police or in police custody, a scathing report came out from the Huffington Post, um, and it shows that 811 people have died. That means two people, no, more than two people per day have died since Sandra Bland died in a jail, and all these people are dying in jails. Now, I read the report, and I was completely blown away because, number one, the reason why they're dying is because of... Um, 
suicide. Many of them are committing suicide. And why are they committing suicide? Because think about it. They're being arrested while they're angry. They may be intoxicated. They may be enraged. They may be paranoid that they're going to lose their job. They're going to lose their spouse. There's a lot going on. They may have mental health issues. Maybe the police did it. Maybe the police did it. Good point, Stanley. And, and sometimes when it's not suicide, it's violence in jails, which right. you know we can talk about as a as a secondary matter. Excellent points, guys. And that's true. A lot of things are occurring in our jails. And I'll say this. It's extremely preventable. I mean, think about it. You have security there. You're supposed to have trained police officers there. Why are people, so many people, dying in jails when, you know, you're supposed to be in the custody of authorities? It really doesn't make sense. Um, so, you know, I, we're, we're going to spend some time just delving into this report that was um, posted on the Huffington Post and talking about the, the criminal justice system. System when it comes to our jail system. I mean, on this show, we talk about prison reform all the time, but I would say for the most part, the detriment of U.S. jails has been overlooked in, uh, you know, mainstream media. You know, this is the first time we're really, really delving into it. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's about time that we give this issue some due justice. Um, and we have on the line with us a very special guest who was actually quoted in this Huffington Post article. Um, I would like to introduce to you guys Margot Schlanger. She is a professor of law at the University of Michigan Law School. As I mentioned, she was quoted in the Huffington Post article about their investigative report on the U.S. jail system. She is also the founder and the director of the Civil Rights Litigation Clearinghouse. Welcome to the show, Margot. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. So, you know, um, we want to start this conversation uh, by asking you, what was your reaction to um, the fact that this report came out and said that over 800 people have died within the last year? Were you shocked or did this further validate statistics and data that you already knew? Yeah, it, it, the, the latter. So about a thousand people die in jail every year. Um, that's the numbers that we've been seeing since those numbers have been uh, started to be kept, which was in 2000. And every year the Justice Department issues a report, um, not with a lot of context, but with a lot of numbers. And it's always about 1,000 a year. Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Margot Schlinger. Um, she is a professor of law at the Uni University of Michigan Law. Um, and we're talking about the deaths of people and like she just said almost a thousand people die a year in jail across america and we have with us our obviously our legal resident scholar Alyssa fuchs and before we decided to talk about this segment or decided that we were going to talk about it on air Alyssa made a great point about the difference between jail police custody and prison and i don't think everyone understands that so i want to just throw it to you Alyssa, to explain that yeah definitely so i mean there's obviously three different points at which somebody is in custody you have police custody which is when somebody is first arrested um maybe they're held in a police car and then they're brought to a police precinct and they're held in a holding cell at a police precinct in police custody um then you have jail uh jail is a place where generally speaking there's two different types of people that are being held in jail you have pre-trial detainees, which is essentially people who have been charged with crimes. Uh, they're not they have not been convicted of any crime. In theory, they are innocent until proven guilty of the crime that they have uh, are alleged to have committed. And they are being held uh, for one of two reasons. Either a uh, they 
could not make bail, meaning that bail was set on them. It is too much money for them to be able to make it. And because they can't make that bill, they are awaiting their trial, awaiting their next court appearances. Um, or in some cases, people are remanded, meaning they don't even have bail set on them. Uh, the court determines that they're too much of a flight risk or in some states too much of a danger uh, to, to get a bail. And so they just get remanded. And so they're at jail awaiting um, the outcome of their criminal proceedings. Um, and in and they are innocent um, people that are in jail uh, because, like I said, they are pretrial detainees. Then you have a whole second set of people who are in jail. And those are people who have actually been convicted of crimes. Uh, at least in New York, it's misdemeanors because in New York, a felony will give you more than a year. But um, if you are serving a sentence, of less than a year or a year, then you go to a jail. You do not go upstate to a prison. Um, once you are convicted of a higher level crime in New York, it's, it's generally a felony. Uh, then you are looking at a sentence that's longer than a year. And in that situation, you go to prison. And a lot of times we hear a lot about people who die in police custody or at the hands of police, um, as we discussed at length last week. And we've done many shows here where we've talked about prisons and about reducing our prison population and some of the things that Congress is trying to do uh, to change our sentencing laws at the federal level to reduce the number of people in prison. But what a lot of times gets over overlooked is people that are in jail, either serving sentences less than a year or are waiting trial and people who are actually presumed to be innocent and sometimes die or suffer horrible violence in in a jail custody. So that's a really important distinctions that we should make. And we should note that today we're really talking about about jails specifically. So what's most concerning to me about our jailing system is that oftentimes, like Alyssa said, you have people who are pre-trial, who are innocent until they are perhaps then proven guilty, sitting in jails that cannot afford to pay their bail. Rest um, in power, Khalif Browder. Yeah, exactly. Khalif Browder, who sat in Rikers, right, for three years because he could not make his $3,000 bail. And I think there's this misconception that, oh, families should be able to pull money together if it's that important to them um, to get people out on bail, which is ridiculous. And I think I read a statistic that said um, – you know, several hundred, maybe it was like less than a thousand, but a, a substantial group of people in New York City alone have sat in jail because they have not been able to pay um, bail that was a thousand dollars or less, or I think five hundred dollars or less, less. Yes. between twenty dollars and five hundred dollars. Right. So, is the first step in reforming our jail system, and I can ask to our guest Margot, um, reforming bail and how that works, and should we take away bail for maybe nonviolent offenders? Yeah, I think that bail reform is a huge a huge step that we really need to take. Uh, you know, it, it varies by the state what proportion of people in jail are there awaiting trial and what proportion have been convicted of things. And it, it in some states you can actually be convicted of, of medium serious crimes and do your time in jail. You can do up to two or three years in jail. But nationwide, it's 60% or so of people in jail are there pre-trial, and a big chunk of those could get out if we had bail reform. So I think we could get hundreds of thousands of people out of custody if we did bail reform. Right. You are absolutely right, Margot. Um, guys, if you're just tuning in and you have a question or a comment, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. And when we talk about jail and bring it into the broader discussion of um, – of social justice reform. I mean, you what presumably you have is two people, one 
rich, one poor, who may commit the same crime, mm-hmm. one of whom is sitting in a jail cell, the other who is not because they could afford to pay their bill, which right. is ridiculous. No, that's an excellent point. And, you know, just back to the people who are sitting in jail, we know that one of the major issues is lack of, you know, the fact that they can't pay bail and there is movement on the ground of for bail reform, one that Alyssa is uh, very active in doing. Yeah, actually, I, um, I've i been working on bail reform issues for a while now with the New York County Lawyers Association. If you're interested in learning more about bail reform with respect to New York, um, I would recommend that you go to the New York County Lawyers Association website and check out the report we did on bail reform. Um, you know, the federal system tends to do bail much, much better. They uh, they put together bail packages uh, for people um, so that they can get out, whereas in New York, uh, we tend to only have three d- forms of bail that, although the law says there's eight forms of bail that are available to people, we only use three in New York, which is uh, cash, bond, and now credit card in certain places. Um, you know, but I, I just like want to harp back in on this point about, as our guest said, and, and we can elaborate on, 60% of these people that are in jail are innocent, right? Until proven guilty. And they are um, put into awful conditions where it's extremely violent in some cases. We know that in the, in Khalif Broder, I mean, there's video of him not only being beaten by guards, but being beaten by other inmates. So there's numerous problems within jails that are being faced by people who, in theory, may be 100% innocent of the crime that they have been accused of committing. Um, and, and so you have high high suicide rates and you have high violence rates. And so I was hoping uh, to, to get our guests back into this conversation to talk about some of these issues that we see in jail with respect to suicide and with respect to, uh, with respect to violence and talk about how this plays into a larger conversation about not just bail reform, but jail reform. Margo? Yeah, I mean, so so people... People in jail are often, not not always, but particularly in the first week or two, it's a very chaotic and a very um, stressful environment. They've just had a very bad thing happen to them, right? They've just been arrested. They've just been taken away from their families. They think they're going to lose their job. They're often right about that. They think they're going to lose a lot personally, and they get a series of moments of very bad news. Oftentimes, they're high or drunk when they start. They might be going through some kind of withdrawal from um, some kind of, of drug dependency, which is very undertreated in jail, and it's a very desperate moment. And so what you see is that the, the suicide rate in prison is actually lower than it is in the country as a whole, but the suicide rate in jail is three or four times greater than it is in the country as a whole. And and it mostly happens in the first week or two. And there really are these are these are unnecessary deaths. It's a third of the deaths that happen in jail and they are unnecessary deaths. They can all or nearly all be prevented by some really simple measures. Right. And Margot, I actually wanted to talk about that because, I mean, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, suicide can be prevented. And I remember in the article, um, you talked about how some people may say uh, or, or adhere to that myth that if you're going to kill yourself, it does not matter. Like you're going to kill yourself regardless if you if you are determined enough. But in that, you know, in the article, you say, you know, that's false. And jail, we could make our jails more suicide side resistant. So I did want to start talking about some of those measures and um, that would prevent people from committing suicide so easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a combination of screening, suicide resistant cells, 
observation of people who are at risk of suicide, and really important, non-punitive interventions. Because if people think that when they report suicide, what's going to happen to them is that their life is going to get even worse, they're going to be stuck naked in a, in a cold cell with no running water, then they're not going to report that they're feeling suicidal, and so you don't get a chance to do a, an appropriate intervention. So you need to do all of those things, and when you do them, guess what? Suicide rate goes way, 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 way down. Another thing that I was reading is that when people um, are first entering the jails, they're not really being, like, sufficiently surveilled um you know the officers aren't trained enough to pick up on red flags to tell if they are intoxicated if they are heroin addict and if some of these or if they have a mental illness and if some of these factors would contribute to them being suicidal so just because they tell you no um it doesn't mean that there aren't red flags there and i feel like this all goes back to a lack of training with our police officers what do you feel about that well, I feel some of it's training, some of it is systems, right? You want to actually have a system with a, a, a screening instrument, you know, a document where you have to go through and you ask all the right questions and you record it and something happens if there are yeses to those questions. Um, but also, you could, Sandra Bland was in an observation cell. I don't, I don't you know, I, I don't know anything that's not public about that case, but you look at the picture, there was a, there were protuberances that you could hang yourself from in it. There were garbage bags that you could use as ligatures. Like, what is that? I mean, how, how can that be that you put somebody in an observation cell and you design it to promote the potential suicide? You're absolutely right. I saw one video in which a guy was pulling out the drawstring from his pants and then he used that to hang himself. And it's like, and he was under surveillance. And it's, I don't understand how all of these measures are being are overlooked. Well, I mean, not for nothing. It's called an observation cell because somebody needs to be observing. So, you know, yes, there's these things like there shouldn't be garbage bags around or places for people to hang from the rafters and they should be more careful to make sure you take people's shoelaces and the string from their inside of their pants. But if it's an observation cell, then where's the person who's observing this person? Isn't there supposed to be there watching this person 24-7 to make sure they don't kill themselves? So then there's just a failure and breakdown of the system where, you know, I mean, I don't want to digress onto a topic. And I know we're going to take a quick bake, but I have clients that have been assaulted by other inmates and in some cases sexually assaulted or otherwise because some officer decided it was time for him to go take a break and he didn't get some other officer to come cover his Post. So you know what? If you're supposed to be observing, then no. damn it, observe. No, you're absolutely right. And on that note, we do have to take a quick break. But don't go anywhere. When we come back, we will continue this conversation about the detriment of American jails right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR. 90.3 FM. The Voice of Harlem. WHCR. And I'm Melissa Fuchs, and I'm here with Selena Hill and Stanley Fritz and, and Jackie Cohen. And you can tweet at us on Heard underscore radio. Or you can call us at 212-650-6903. Selena, you're too late to the party. Or you can leave a comment on Facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous or on the Be Heard Facebook page. Or call Selena at 718-776. No, five. <laughs> Five, five, five. Five. Right, 555, five, yeah. So um, where we left off with break, uh, we were talking to law professor Margot Schlinger who, uh, about the U.S. jail systems and how almost a 1,000 people die in jails 
every single year. And a lot of it is preventable, but many people are committing suicide and we're just not paying enough attention to this issue as a whole. Uh, we have on the line with us Miss Deborah, who would like to let her voice be heard on this issue. Good morning, Miss Deborah. Hi, how are you? Listen, you know, if you put someone, I mean, just looking at her tape, and and um, she didn't appear to be somebody who killed herself. I, I, I just don't think she did. But if you put someone in a cell, after you've asked them all of these questions about things that they may have gone through in the past, and then you have all of these uh, places for them to hang themselves, that's a really good way to set the stage so that they could easily say, well, you know, she did have a past and, you know, she was depressed at one time or other and, you know, she had a breaking point when they could have really just went in there and, and, and killed her because they didn't like her. She was too, she did, she did not fit, she didn't fit the profile. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just seeing her in the car. You know, she was smoking a cigarette. I mean, that's no reason to want to tell somebody that if you don't get up, I'm going to light you up. You know, I mean, that's just no reason. It wasn't 1950s, and she just would not adhere to that. That doesn't appear to be somebody who would just kill themselves. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, Miss Deborah, I, I'm definitely inclined to agree. I think that this, the death was extremely mysterious and suspicious at the least. And she didn't seem suicidal to me either. Yeah, so I remember just thinking about when she left a voicemail for her sister, I think it was. And she said, I can't believe that a freaking um, a missed signal led to all of this right here. It just didn't seem like someone who was ready to end it. But obviously, I've never been in that space where I've wanted to take my life. I've not, I know some people who have gone through that, but it doesn't, the signs aren't always there. If you're not looking for them. So it could have happened. But my question from Margot is this, and, and I'm using a bit of my ignorance of the prison system to ask this question. But what ha- what level of responsibility is there on correction officers and the people running a prison to make sure that these people are not committing suicide? They're not being harmed in a prison and that they're not their lives are not in danger. And when things like this do happen, are there actual are there any actual consequences? Because it, it seems like some of this negligence is not negligence. It's just straight up not caring. Yeah, so that's a great question. The the um, the federal constitution says that the the way that, that the judges have developed it is that law enforcement can't disregard known risks. And so, if there's a known risk of suicide in jail, and we do know that there's a risk of suicide in jail because the rate is four times what it is outside, then you have to take reasonable steps to prevent suicides, and that means screening and putting people in cells that are suicide resistant and checking in with them and doing various things that can prevent suicides. And it turns out if you do those things, the suicide rate goes way, way, way down. You're right. Um, if you don't do those things then, and somebody kills themselves, then you can get sued in federal court. Those are very tough lawsuits. The lawyers who win those lawsuits have to work really hard and they have to be really good. And sometimes they lose cases they should win, but sometimes they win and then there are you know, then money gets paid. But, I mean, the money doesn't bring back the dead person. So, and that's where I'm confused at. So you're telling me that if one, Rikers Island, for example, which we know is an atrocious prison, if a bunch of people are dying in that prison through suicide or through attacks, whatever it is, no one's saying, hmm, maybe someone should be fired? Yeah, so, I mean, so I think people do sometimes get fired. And at Rikers, you know, there's been some very big lawsuits 
and some very big changes uh, at Rikers. And we'll see if they prevent some of the violence and some of the desperate circumstances. There's now a rule that people with serious mental illness don't go to solitary confinement anymore. That was a big suicide um, that's a big suicide risk is when you have serious mental illness and you're in solitary. People who are under 18 aren't going to solitary anymore. So maybe that stuff will actually start to fix things. We'll see. Right. No, and actually, I'm one of the lawyers that brings those lawsuits against the jails, and they are very, very difficult. A lot of times they're really hard to prove because um, in some cases surveillance video has been deleted or written over um, or the th- these events happened um, in places where there is no cameras. And specifically, you know, I've had cases where, um, you know, inmates have been beaten by corrections officers, specifically in places where corrections officers knew that they were not going to be caught on camera. Um, a lot of times if you do have witnesses, there are also other people that are in there for allegedly committed crimes. And sometimes by the time you actually go to a trial, if a case doesn't settle, um, that person has now been convicted of a crime. Um, and so now, you know, they may still have seen this event, but you now have to put somebody who is a convicted criminal in front of a jury, not necessarily your client, but somebody else who is a witness. And and so then you have jurors who are looking at this person going, uh, you know, should I believe this person? And now I don't think just because somebody's a convicted fell, and that's a reason to not believe them. Um, but for a lot of jurors, that's how they look at it. Oh, this person's a criminal. Why should I believe them? They have every reason to lie uh, to you know for their for their buddy. Um, you know, and in some cases, you have situations where you win, and yet you still have juries that that give your client nominal damages, meaning, right. you know, you get a, your client gets a dollar. Uh, f- yeah, a nominal damages could be a dollar. I've had cases that, you know, we've literally had juries turn around and say, yeah, yeah, your client's rights have been violated, um, but we don't think it, that your client deserves to get any money, so we're giving your client nominal damages, um, and so we'll give your client a dollar for, for that thing that happened to them, and, that, and that's plausible. Or you can lose outright. They, uh, As Margot points out, the, they're very hard cases. Um, in fact, I think they're, they're probably a lot more difficult than the cases we bring against the police department. And in some cases, when it comes to a, a beating, um, there now also involves a cover-up, where now we have corrections officers that don't want to get in trouble for these things, as you pointed out, that yeah. they do. Um, so now they 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 lie and they fabricate evidence against the person that is the victim uh, in order to make it seem as though the victim had attacked them. And then that victim gets charged with a crime, and that makes it even harder and more difficult for a lawyer like me to be able to bring those lawsuits. So um, those are just some of the ins and outs of these types of civil rights cases to just elaborate on what our uh, guest Margot uh, already said about how difficult some of these cases can be. No, definitely. And Margot, I just wanted to know if you had any uh, comment or feedback. Well, I mean, the other thing is that this is maybe not so often the case in New York, but um, because New York City has a really robust civil rights bar. But if you're in places where that's less true, sometimes it's really hard for people to find lawyers for these cases. Ninety-five percent of prisoners' rights cases, the prisoners represent themselves. And that's just about impossible. I mean, it's just you just a, a person representing himself can't get past all of those obstacles. And so those cases don't work as an accountability method. You know, you really need a lawyer. Uh, I have another question. I'm kind of veering off just a little bit. So there was a prisoner in Baton Rouge who died from overheating because the prisons were so hot because of a a heat wave right now. And so I had two questions. One, prisons don't have something as basic as air conditioning. And two, what's going to be the blowback for that as far as someone getting in trouble, if anything at all? Was it a prison or a jail? I just wanted to clarify. I'm sorry. I get get the mix up. I'm sorry. Jail. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the answer is there's lots and lots of southern prisons that don't have air conditioning, or they'll have it only um, in a couple of places. You know, if you're taking, um, if you're taking psychiatric medication, a lot of those medications make you unable to dissipate heat. And so they put you at an even higher risk than other people in sweltering heat for um, death from, from heat-related illnesses. So, so sometimes they'll have air conditioning only in an area where just those prisoners are. And, and it's terrible, and that's another set of preventable deaths. I don't know the details of the Baton Rouge situation, um, so I can't, I can't really speak to that. But a lot of prisons, what they've done, and jails, they'll give people fans or they'll give people ice or they'll give them access to showers a little bit more often because they don't want to put in air conditioning. Um, and the result is sometimes that works and sometimes people die. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And this is why you also you often hear people say, like, you know, the prison system is like modern day slavery where you have people dying because their basic needs aren't being met. And I remember a few years ago here in New York City, a homeless man died from overheating in a jail. Um, and it, and you know, there was a big lawsuit. And, you know, that that case got a lot of media coverage, but it's happening over and over again. Yeah, there's a case out in Louisiana where the prison system spent more money fighting the lawsuit than they would have spent putting in air conditioning. So sometimes it just really kind of makes your jaw drop. Was it wow. a private prison? Yeah. That again? Was it a private prison? No, it was not. Wow. Oh, God bless America. Yes, yes. Uh, no, 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 no. You know, I'm just wondering. I mean, obviously I do these cases a lot, but I don't really study the 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 ins and outs of them because I'm on the ground doing the, uh, you know, practical litigation. And I'm just curious from your opinion, from your research, how much of it do you think is just like negligence and how much of it do we think is like willful disregard or deliberate and willful deliberate indifference towards the fact that people are human beings? I mean, obviously we know that there are some corrections officers that get into this job because they really do care about these people and they want to make sure they do right by them and, you know, and, and would not not put prisoners or you know uh, people who are in jail in a position in positions like this. But we also know that we have a lot of corrections officers that you know they show up to get their paycheck and to go home at night. Um, you know, like how many? Like, what do we have any numbers about? Like, what is the you know divide between negligence versus willful disregard for the rights of these people as human beings? Great question. And the answer is no. There's nothing. There's no way to tell. What what you can know is that under the constitutional standards, mere negligence is not enough to state a claim. And so the negligence cases lose under federal law. Now, in some states, in some states, negligence, you know, is a state law claim. And so you can bring, say, a medical care case that's about negligent medical care. But under the federal constitution, negligence isn't enough. It has to be conscious disregard of a known risk. And so if the answer is, well, I didn't know, and, well, why didn't you know? What do you mean you didn't know? If a, if a prison guard can say, but I didn't know, that's actually a defense. Um, and so nobody knows kind of what the divide is. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, Margot, we do have to bring this discussion to a close, but we thank you so much for joining our program and distributing some of this very disturbing information um, that's just frankly not getting enough attention. Um, and I wanted, before we let you go, I wanted to um, ask you if there is a, a call to action that's something that we could all support and then um, also ask for you to distribute your information so people can get in touch with you, whether that be via Twitter, your website, et cetera. Gotcha. So my, my website is margoschlanger.net. 
So uh, that's the best way to find out any any information for me. Okay. And as far as a call to action, uh, you know, the the thing that I'm most involved in currently is an effort called Stop Solitary. And I think that there's a lot of work that people can do on that that really goes to a lot of the issues that we were just talking about. And so if you go to Stop Solitary, mm. you can find every on the 23rd of every month there's um, actions to – uh, try to reduce the use of solitary confinement, which is 23 hours a day lockdown. Right. Thank you again, Margo. We appreciate it. And um, I just want to get final comments from uh, the panel on this very disturbing issue. Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've given you a lot of my thoughts as somebody who deals with these day-to-day cases. And, and you know, it's really a shame that, um, you know, as our guest pointed out, a lot of people have to proceed. Um, there's also another thing we didn't really get to get into, which is the, the Prison Reform, Prison Litigation Reform Act, which actually can make it very difficult to, to sue uh, when you're actually in jail or in prison. And, and we didn't have to go have time to go into detail about that. But, I, I, you know, my final comment is, um, you know, I looked at the Huffington Post report and a big thing that it mentions is that we don't have a lot of data on this. We don't have a lot of data. The federal each state collects data differently. The federal government doesn't collect. They collect data from the states. And I think you know, obviously, there's lots of things we can do to reform jails on the ground from ending solitary, reducing the use of solitary confinement for youths, um, putting, uh, you know, mental health watch and not putting people in the hole, so to speak, if they're having a mental health um, and also reforming bail. But another thing that I really think we need to do is reform the way the federal government collects data about death in jails because a big way that we're going to be able to solve the problem is to really know what the extent of the problem is. And unless we have um, actual data, complete data that we really can get the full picture of what's going on, it makes it more difficult for us to figure out the right way to attack these types of issues. Right. Uh, And I I think, you know, from my perspective, our jail system terrifies me, especially in New York, the fact that we can have a young man like Khalif Browders sitting in jail for three years in Rikers because he cannot afford to pay his bail, to post bail, is terrifying. And I think that this isn't even, a, you know, a crime of poverty. This is just um, a disproportionate act against you if you are poor, right, that you cannot afford to post bail and be released. And this is this causes lasting damage to individuals, to families, to communities. And there's something that needs to be done right now. The prison system is the Van, is the Van Gogh Starry Night um, example of America's moral failure. That, that's exactly what it is. The prison system, system is an example of how Americans and American people can so easily forget the humanity of other people, can so easily put money in front of other things because you'll fight a lawsuit against someone dying from overheating instead of using that money to pay for air conditioning and because it shows that we don't really care about rehabilitating people. we just rather throw people somewhere into a corner and forget all about them. And when we're talking about the kind of reforms we need in this world, we need a reform of just people in general and, and how we think and how we perceive others. Because until we have that, you're going to keep having issues like this. And, you know, just before Selena gives her final statements, keep in mind, like I said, a majority of these people, over 60 percent, are people who are not guilt, not yet found guilty of a crime. They are technically people who are innocent. Right. So that could be you. You could be charged with a crime that you didn't commit and you could end up in jail and you could be somebody who's innocent awaiting trial, not being able to make bail. So right. keep in mind what like we're, for the most part, we are not talking about convicted criminals. 
criminals. We are talking about people who are presumed to be innocent. Selena? No, you're absolutely right, and I thank the panel for their comments, and I just wanted to end on this. We also need to keep in mind that the, the, major, the people in jail are dis- disproportionately black and Hispanic because we know um, there are a number of laws that have that have police officers targeting black and Hispanic communities. Last week, we had Edwin Raymond on our show, who is a, a part of the NYPD case. He is a whistleblower, and he talked about how he was he's told by, you know, the, the higher ups to target uh black and Hispanics between the ages of, I think, 14 and 19, because supposedly they'll be more likely to be involved in some criminal activity. So they're being stopped and frisked, they're being arrested, and they're putting in there, and they're being put in jail. And now we have these statistics that show that people are dying in jail, and, and it's for ridiculous things that are extremely preventable. So again, I just want to repeat that there's a number of things that we can take. The bail reform movement is something that we can all um, advocate for, whether that's on Twitter, you're donating money, you can get involved there. Raise the age campaign. Mm. New York and North Carolina are the only two states that still put children in adult prisons and jails like Khalif Broder. We still haven't learned our lesson there. So we can also support support the Raise the Age campaign in general and also Stop Solidarity, which our guests talked about. So, again, guys, this is about us getting involved. We're aware. We're informed. We know better so we can do better. And on that note, I do want to take a quick break. But then when we come back, we're going straight into the news roundup right here on let your voice be heard how does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a whore 94.3 fm new york the caribbean by providence and poverty and squalor grow up to be 